Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Adi. This week, we're continuing our series over the Red Letter Challenge. Enjoy. Last week, the uh, emphasis was on being, and uh, the idea of being was that in terms of being with God, spending time with God, of course, but we also took it a little different uh, angle where the idea was that uh, as you are with God, the focus in terms of how God is with you. And that's kind of something that we don't often think about. We think about, well, I'm with God and, and I'm embracing God and I'm enjoying God. But the, the reality is, is that when you look in the scriptures, what you discover is that God actually enjoys being with you. Is that a surprise? No, it shouldn't be, but it's just something we just don't often think about. And that the more God is with us, the more we have that opportunity to be blessed in such a way that we are filled with the energy that he fills us with in terms of his love for us. That's why it's such a great thing to think in terms of being beloved by God. And so that's been the focus kind of of last week. I'm hoping that that was the focus of last week, right? And, and so that then the idea is, is that the more beloved I know I am of God, then that is not only the power behind my ability to love you, but it's also my motive for loving you. And then where we're going to go today is this, a specific way in which that love manifests itself, and that's in the area of forgiveness, okay? So let's talk about a few things that the Bible says about forgiving, and uh, the Bible has a lot to say about forgiving, but I picked a couple of, uh, couple of areas here that some might be familiar, some might be uh, new to you. In Matthew 6, 12, and we remember the context of this verse, it is in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. He says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, when you look at that verse, what's the most important word? No. As. Forgive is important, of course. But as is such a little tiny word, it's almost insignificant, isn't it? And yet the thrust of that verse centers around the word as. Correct, Tom? And what do you mean by that? (laughs) It's kind of like asking God to say, you know, I've done such a good job in forgiving these people, and you should do a good job. Do it the way I do it, instead of us doing it the way he does it. Okay, and so that's a little bit of more of the negative side of it, okay? But if we take it, maybe flip it around, flip that coin around to the positive side, what we're actually committing or committing ourselves to something in that, in that petition, then the, commit, the commitment is, is that as God is forgiving me, what am I doing? I am currently right now doing what? Forgiving others. Or more specifically, forgiving you. I mean, no, I don't mean you, but forgiving the person who has wronged me or offended me or in some way hurt me. So that word as, see, that's a, that's a key word in that petition, because it goes out, it goes with the idea that in the same way that I am being beloved by God, 
then also I'm extending that being belovedness to somebody else. As opposed to simply saying, well, thank goodness I'm beloved. Oh, I'm so thrilled that I'm beloved. Let's have a party because I'm beloved. Now I can enjoy the fact that I'm beloved. And then it becomes all about me and Jesus. But what about you, see? And so all through the Gospels, there's this sort of, this sort of drumbeat of a message that says we celebrate what we have from God, but at the same time, we extend that celebration out to other people. And that's that, uh, remember in confirmation class, you would have learned about this, the vertical uh, relationship with you and God and the horizontal relationship that you would have with other people. And, and so in some sense of the word, we, some sense of that, we think that the vertical relationship is easier. Don't we think about that? We say, well, it's easy, yeah, because God loves me and I love him. That's easy. Why do we have to include the, the horizontal? But something we don't often think about is, is that the vertical relationship might be harder for God <laughs> because of who he's dealing with, right? Yeah. So it just, it, it, it's, have, it's thinking that through in terms of what we, we enjoy the fact that we're forgiven, but the idea of being forgiven is so that we can then extend that to someone else. Yes. It's also a very convicting word. As is convicting? Yeah, because what we're saying is forgive us as we forgive others. But if we take time to think about how really generous we are in our forgiveness and how easily we do it, but we're saying, you know, we get tied up on forgiving somebody else, but we want God to do the same way that we do it. Do you know why? Because it's a whole lot easier for God to forgive us than for, uh, you know, because the level of sin that we commit is nowhere near as, uh, as big and deep and, and, uh, and uh, uh, life-changing as it is for, uh, in terms of what other people do. So it's just a lot easier for God. It's a lot harder for us, right? No, not really, huh? Okay. Any other thoughts about that this morning? Okay, so let's kind of get into some of the uh, details regarding the verse itself. In the old King James Version, and this is kind of what we always say, I think in, uh, in our services, in our liturgy, we use the word trespass, right? Yeah, forgive us our trespasses as we have also forgiven uh, others who trespass against us. And so the idea of trespass is that that involves both an intentional and an unintentional intrusion. Have any of you ever trespassed on someone else's property? Yes, you probably have. Yes, and, and if you got caught, what would you have likely said in your own defense? Well, I didn't know it was somebody else's property, right? And if it wasn't posted, you could make that argument, could you not, right? Yes, but would that change the fact that you were guilty? No, because it's still somebody else's property, okay? Uh, debts. Uh, we think of a debit account or we think of a debt that's owed that somehow has to be paid. So there's three things that uh, sort of show up scripturally in terms of what the word forgive means. All right. The first one is to release the debtor from the debt. Jesus used some examples of that in some parables that he told about somebody that owed a lot of money to the master and a little money to the master. Then the master forgave the debt 
right? The big debt, and then the idea was that the guy who owed a lot was supposed to go and forgive the, the guy that owed a little, all right? The second one is to unbind, unbind from an obligation. So if, I, if you're forgiven that obligation, that means that you're no longer obligated. You could almost see that maybe in a contractual way, that a contract was made, and then now that is re- you're released from that, that you no longer have to uh, fulfill your, uh, your part of it. And then number three, to stop, S-T-O-P, stop holding a sin or a hurt against yourself or someone else. Which is easier to do, forgive others or forgive yourself? Why is that, do you think? Uh, and I don't know if that's true or not, but I've had a lot of people say that. Why would you think that would be easier to forgive somebody else than to forgive yourself? Philip? Uh, because you know yourself better. Well, true, but wouldn't you cut yourself some slack then? Sometimes you want to hold yourself to a higher standard. Yeah, I think so. Okay, that's a good point. What else? You're always with yourself, whereas if you forgive somebody else... I know exactly what you're talking about there. And not only are you always with yourself, but you're always having to listen to yourself, tell yourself about what an idiot you were and why did you do that and I can't believe you did it. And, you know, and so getting yourself to shut up with yourself, <laughs> I have not figured out the way to do that. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And so, so does it make sense, though, that there would be some merit in being able to let go of something that you did uh, either against someone else or even against yourself. Is there merit to that, i.e. forgiving yourself? Yeah, because you could take yourself into a downward death spiral emotionally, and you could do the same thing spiritually by keeping to reminding yourself constantly of, oh, I can't believe you did that, I can't believe you did that, okay? So the idea of of letting go of that is, is an important part to this. Okay, Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So again, that, that phrase in there with the little word what? As, yeah, great word. As God in Christ forgave you, uh, illustrates for us that, that the motive for forgiving is in the fact that God has already forgiven you. And and it kind of goes to that important question of why do we forgive? See, you hear it all the time in church. And I know in counseling and other pastoral things I do, I talk to people about forgiving. And sometimes when I do that, I get this like look on the face that it's an incredulous look. Like you can't possibly suggest that I should forgive so-and-so for what he did or she did. And yet, that still is the, the, the imperative in terms of the scriptures that this is what needs to happen. So the question is, why should we forgive? Why is, not only why is forgiving a good thing, but also why should we do it? Why forgive? Pardon? It clears our mind. All right, so when I forgive, as opposed to not forgiving, then I'm able to release it from my mind and let it go. So there's a benefit to me to do that. Right? But what if I don't feel like doing that? What if I want to hang on to that because, you know, what that person did was really bad? You know, that was not an easy thing. That was really bad. 
And so I sort of gain a little bit of um, self-pity or whatever it is I feel. See, what if I, what if I don't want to let it go? Why well, forgive? Pardon? It just causes you grief. Well, it does, but there's a kind of a... Jo- that doesn't mean you have to trust the person. Yeah, okay, that's a different thing. I don't have to trust the person. Why forgive? I mean, there is benefit to you, the forgiver. No question about that. Because if you don't forgive, who does it hurt? It hurts a relationship. It sure does. Because you're not going to be want to be around that person much, and you're not going to be very nice and... And it's always going to be defensive and all those things. So there's the, the idea of benefit versus deficit to you is there. But why forgive? Yeah, I would say uh, one of the only minor reason is because God told us to. And it's his commandment. But that's a minor reason. That's a minor Do you hear what he said? Because God told us to. Oh, really? <laughs> So again, you're, you're totally right, but you're looking at it from a negative perspective. In other words, not that that's bad. It's just, you're looking at it from the perspective of, because if I don't, I'm sinning against God or because he told me. And I'm looking at it, I guess, from a more positive perspective that my forgiving others is a response to God already what? Forgiving me. That puts it in the positive. What you're saying is true. And it's a both and. But so much of the time we think of it in terms of, I better do it or else. And man, there probably is an or else in terms of the effect it'll have on me. Certainly God's not happy about it. But the power and the motive to do it resides in the fact that God's grace is what's at work here, not the threat of his law. And from a Christian perspective, living that justified life, living the life that says, I'm already, I'm already loved. That, see, that, doesn't, that does not change. And so because I'm already this, and I'm already forgiven, then the extension of that is to this. Hmm. Crummy pen, will you hold on to that for me? Thank you. <laughs> We get purple here. Purple would be better. There we go. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh. I kind of think of it like this way. If you forgive from the head, not the heart, that's not true forgiveness. Forgiveness comes when you can resign it to the heart and say, God, I forgive because you forgave me. And you, you take a heart forgiveness instead of a head forgiveness. Have you ever thought... Have you ever thought that you forgave somebody and then you thought maybe you didn't? It's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. I don't know that there's an easy, well-defined line there in terms of the difference between head forgiveness and heart forgiveness. I suspect that it kind of starts up here and then makes its way down here, but that's the work of doing it. I always think of spiritual, the spiritual man being centered here. There's no spirituality in your brain. Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's a whole thing. I know. That, that, yeah. that really and truly. Yeah. That it's a, it's a full body thing, but I, I just think that God always refers to the heart when he yeah. refers to yeah. purity. 
It's kind of interesting that in this verse in Ephesians, that he links, there's a linkage between forgiveness and being forgiven, and then how you treat your neighbor. Do you know that? There's a, there's a, they're tied together. Be, be what to each other? Kind. See that, now that, now we're talking about how I am with you, right? How I am with you in my, in my words, how I am in my thoughts about you, and how I am in my deeds toward you, my actions toward you. So see, that's part of what takes forgiveness out of this sort of um, abstract sort of intellectual argument that we can all have about what exactly is the nature of forgiveness. We can, you know, okay, that's, we can have that argument all day, but if it doesn't translate into how I am with you, i.e. that I treat you as one whom I have forgiven, as opposed to I treat you as one with whom I'm still holding something against you that you did to me. That's entirely more of a less abstract, and now it's more into action. Yeah. I was just thinking, doesn't forgiveness just give resolution to the scar? That once you're hurt, there's always a scar. It's never healed unblemished. Yeah. So, yes, you forgive, but you have that scar to remind you, and that just gives you wisdom. Yeah. And we're at the, if, at the end, if we, like, ever get to it, we'll, uh, we'll talk about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Yeah, great point. Okay. All right, so kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. So forgiveness allows tenderness to thrive. Have you noticed that with each other? That when you haven't forgiven, it's really hard to be tender. It's just really hard to give that person the benefit of the doubt. It's, it's really hard when somebody else is wanting to give that person benefit of the doubt, and you're still upset with that person, and the person who wants to give that person benefit of the doubt, it will sound an awful lot like that person is on the side of the person that hurt you. And you just don't want to hear it. Okay? Forgiveness allows tenderness to thrive. Treating someone as one whom you have forgiven. So Christians forgive others because you've already been forgiven. And you see, that's when, you know, th- we probably could be very honest and say, some things are easier to forgive than others. True? Yeah, yeah. Then probably you could say, well, you know, the easy stuff I probably can do, and I don't really have to remind myself that God forgave me because it's the easy stuff. But what about the hard stuff, you know? The hard stuff that has uh, ramifications that go on longer than just like one day or, or even one week. That's when we draw on the fact that God has already forgiven us in Christ, and we might have to remind ourselves of that every once in a while. So, like, how often do you remind yourself that God in Christ has forgiven you? Oh, this is terrible. (laughs) So, I would make that part of the challenge. If we think of the red letter challenge, okay, this is the Jim Adi challenge, all right? But I would say maybe that to start to include in your daily contemplation or your daily conversation with yourself is to remind yourself that God in Christ has forgiven you. God in Christ has forgiven me. That I already stand in a forgiven place. And so 
because I am, I can move into the place of forgiving my brother or my sister. Okay? Number two, forgiving flows out of our being as beloved children of God. Okay, so we have this uh, wonderful reading from Luke 7. And because I know I'm going to be reading in the late service, would somebody be willing to read this uh, for us this morning? Kim? Yeah, please. 35 to 48, yeah. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Okay, so, and then he'll go into the parable. So what was the deal with Simon? Does he have a legitimate beef? Now, he's rude and annoying. Okay, let's accept that, right? <laughs> right? He's a, he's a legalist. Okay, he looks at things from the, you know, this is the right thing to do. That's all about Pharisees. How, is anybody here like that? This is the right thing to do? Come on, I don't want to raise my hand by myself, okay? Now, is there anything wrong with that? No. No, there's not a single thing wrong with that. In fact, we got to have rules. And those of you that are... Rule breakers, you should just learn your lessons now, right? <laughs> yeah, we all break the rules once in a while. Some of us do it in a sneaky way, and others just right in your face, all right? So what's the deal with Simon? He's offended. He's offended. On the basis of what? He's also kind of embarrassed, I think, you know? I mean, here this woman comes, and she's making a spectacle of herself, and and that my house guest and my dinner guest is right here. It's Jesus. And here I, I am. And we, I got all my friends and all that. Yeah, Richard? Oh, he's, he's, he's trying to keep up his appearances. You know, he, he's got a, he obeys all the rules. And here's this woman, you know? Yeah. She's in my house. And come into my space. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Okay. It's, yeah, I mean, what will my friends say? They maybe won't ever want to come over again. Or I'll never hear the end of it. How about that one, right? Yeah, yeah. okay. So here's the question. As a forgiven Christian, what is the best way to handle situations in which you are offended and maybe perhaps even justified in your position? I want you to put yourself into Simon's shoes. Now, and it's easy for us to look at him and say, oh, terrible Simon. Oh, be more like Jesus. Come on. But the reality is, is that in our lives as Christians, we face those moments when our propriety gets kicked around a little bit. When maybe our preferences for how we think things ought to be, and maybe they are, gets challenged in some way. And it kind of rubs us the wrong way, doesn't it? 
And so the offense is entirely ours. The feeling of being offended is entirely ours. Whether it's right or wrong may be debatable. But the issue here is that she's not breaking any law. She is going against the propriety of the day, at least in terms of how Simon saw it. So my question is to put yourself in Simon's shoes. And the question is, as a Christian who is beloved by God, who is forgiven by God in Christ, what's the best way for us to handle situations when we're the ones being offended by something that somebody else is doing, whether they realize it as an offense or not? Hmm, got quiet now. All right, well, let's talk it through a little bit. Begin with checking your own motives. So it's a little bit of the Matthew 7 verses where he talks about the idea that before you uh, put all your focus on the speck in the other person's eye, what do you need to probably do? Yeah, and, and, and what, what do you have to do? What is required or what would be a step to doing that? You know, take the log out or the plank out of your own eye. Well, okay, how do you do that? What does that mean? Yeah, Kathy. I think sometimes you have to stop, deliberately stop and say, how can I look at this another way? You, you have to force yourself because you're not inclined to do it. I know because when you're right, there is no other way. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, if you're right, how can there be any other thing but wrong, right? But you're exactly right. You're exactly right. You have to kind of kind of step back, sort of pause. We like to use the word pause sometimes. But it's sort of like check your own motives out. Now, how many of you have discovered that when the only one that you're talking to about your motives is yourself that it's pretty easy to convince yourself that your motives are pure. <laughs> Have you discovered that? Yeah, I mean, that's called self-justification. It's where we do something and then we say, and here's the six reasons I did it, and every single one of them, and I've got Bible verses to back it up, every single one of them <laughs> is right. So how do you avoid that self-deception or the possibility of self-deception when it comes to taking a look at the plank or the log, which God's word says is already there in your eye? How do you do that? How do you do that? You could go to a friend. You could ask their opinion. You could go to somebody else and ask their opinion? Holy cow. Somebody that likes you? <laughs> Maybe somebody that doesn't like you. Ooh, somebody that doesn't like you. Wow, Peggy. Yeah, or go talk to somebody who has it in for the other person. That would be even better, wouldn't it? <laughs> now that would be great. Yeah, because, you know, that, that way you already have like two of you. But you're not going to get an objective perspective on that. All right. So it's kind of that idea of, be, and, and I think part of what makes it a little hard to do that is that then we would have to be willing to admit and accept feedback from the other person that maybe our motives are not quite as pure as we would like to think they are. And that's that kind of moment of honesty, isn't it? 
When if you say, well, here's what happened, and I, here's why I'm really upset, and, and all that sort of thing, okay? That person might give you some empathy, which would be good, right? We all like a little empathy. Oh, you poor thing. And oh, you know what? I hate it when things like that happen to me. I mean, we like that, right? But then after that comes sort of the, uh, sort of the question, I suppose, of um, exactly why are you doing this? And so that's the harder question. That's the harder moment, isn't it? When we're kind of forced to look at ourselves, and it's not just ourselves looking at ourselves, but now we're opening ourselves up to somebody else looking at ourselves, and what are we going to do with that? Okay, number two, B. Consider the option of overlooking it. Does that occur to anybody these days? No. <laughs> Consider the option of overlooking it. Why is overlooking it why does that seem to be such a, oh, that would be the worst thing ever to overlook this? Why, why is that? Because you don't feel like you get the justice you deserve. Okay, so, and you already have in your mind what the justice you deserve looks like versus justice. There's the justice and the justice I deserve. All right, so some of that might be a little convoluted. All right, and doesn't it also seem a little wishy-washy? You know, I mean, let's face it, you know, the part in the Bible where Jesus says, turn the other cheek. How many of us actually do that? Because doesn't that seem just a little weak? Not standing up for yourself, being an adult in that moment, right? Okay. So what's the value in overlooking? Apparently there is none. (laughs) Yeah, we just hadn't thought about that. Well, How many things in your life can you be offended by without it just becoming a beatdown and then you become a beatdown on everybody else because what happens is you get, you train your brain to only look for the offense. And after a while, that's all you'll see. You'll only see the negative. You won't see the positive. Or if you do see the positive, it won't count. And how in the world could it count? Because look at all that negative. And that's what really counts. That's what we do. Yep. It's a, a way of moving on. Overlooking? Yeah. Yeah. You can't, if you're not overlooking it, you're not moving on really. So here's what I would love to have see happen someday. Is that somebody gets offended by something. This would be another good challenge, by the way. Somebody gets, uh, gets offended by something and then puts it out on Facebook that they overlooked it. (laughs) Wouldn't that be so refreshing? But the problem is uh, Facebook would probably cancel it out. They probably would do that. You know, I don't know. I don't know what they're, they have all these standards now of what's okay and what's not okay. Or if they said, and I forgave it, which I love, I would love that. But you know what happens so much on social media is that when you get offended by something or hurt, your feelings hurt or something, all you have to do is put that out there. And you will have a hundred million people say to you, oh, you poor thing, and let's rise up and conquer the oppressor. Is there power in presenting yourself as an offended victim? It's huge. It's huge. I'm offended that you're offended. Well, I'm offended that you're offended that I'm offended. (laughs) 
I'll see you're offended and raise you too offended. Yeah. But you know, again, that's, that, that's the world that we live in. And that's why it would be so refreshing. Oh my gosh, people wouldn't know what to do with that. If somebody said, well, I got my feelings hurt or whatever, how they'd say it. And then, uh, and, and maybe they would even say, and you know, I couldn't overlook it. So then what I did was I forgave it. The world would not know what to do with that. So that'll be another challenge. Philip will get that challenge going here. Yeah. Some, something that like, I hear from people who are concerned about overlooking it yeah. is that, well, they'll just keep doing it. They'll keep doing it. Yes. Keep them from continuing to engage in this inappropriate behavior or offensive behavior or what, what have you. Yeah. So uh, that's a great point. So where's the line between overlooking it and then how do I know when I need to pursue it in some way as opposed to overlook it? Where would that line be? Yeah, Tom. Or to take it a step further, my silence implies I support that decision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you didn't raise a ruckus about it, you must agree with it. Okay? And that's, that, that's a possibility. Okay? Possibility. Yeah, March. How about looking into the, uh, the offender's life and what they're going through uh, that would cause them to uh, approach you in that way? Well, you... You could, I, I, I mean, I hear where you're coming from. She said, what if you look into the offender's life and, and then you would sort of say, you know, given maybe the way that person was raised or their life experience or something like that would have contributed to what they do and there would be that possibility, okay? I, I think the caution would be that sometimes that's a person's ticket to bad behavior. And they say, well, it really isn't my fault because look how I was raised. It really isn't my responsibility because look at all the hard t things I've had in my life. And so for those of us, and I probably would count myself in this category because I'm like the perfect age for this as a baby boomer, is I'm a big believer in personal responsibility. And so the idea of, I, I'm willing to acknowledge that um, there might be some contributors to a person doing what they do, but at the end of the day, I'm the one that did it. You know, that person's the one that did it. And I'm not willing, nor do I think forgiveness or even overlooking something necessarily would give people that ticket. So one way to tell if you could overlook it or not is to see how long it sticks with you. That's one way to tell. So you overlook it and then it just keeps bugging you. And maybe because it continues, but maybe it's because the significance of it or the weight of it in your life, the effect of it in your life is something that you just can't turn loose of. Okay, that would be a good, pretty clear indication that I have to move from uh, working to overlook something to now working toward forgiving something. And see, notice what the step is. It's moving from overlooking it to what? Forgiving it. See, it's not overlooking it and, oh, we'll just let it go and you do whatever you want. It's not overlooking, moving to ignoring. It's overlooking it and then moving to forgiving. So, uh, Jackie, you had your hand up. You answered. What was the question that I answered? <laughs> well, you were saying how is overlooked, I mean, when you overlook something, mm -hmm. 
my mind went straight to forgiving. When you overlook it, you're kind of, it's like a precursor to forgiving, and that's exactly what you... Okay. It's kind of soft forgiveness, but it's more of that I'm going to let it go in here, and maybe in here, in my heart and in my mind. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to be grumpy around you. Maybe I might be a little bit on guard, but not overly over the top, okay? And so that's kind of that difference. If it keeps bothering you, in some sense, maybe you have to have a conversation with that person about it. Maybe that's what it has to happen. Um, and so forgiveness is not as much the spiritual side of forgiveness as much it is the uh, sort of relational side. Yeah, Carl. Scripture is full of respect and be forgiven. And uh, it's kind of hard to forgive some something or someone who, who is not repentant about, about what they've done. Yeah, I know. That's very annoying. I, um, <laughs> I know. I mean, if the other person isn't sorry, and maybe they say that in some, on some level that they might just do it again because, after all, they were raised a certain way. Or they just say, well, that's the kind of person I am. You know, I'm a blunt person. I just say what's on my mind. And if you can't handle the truth, well, hey, there's some problem you're having. I mean, that person is assuring you that they will say rude and mean things to you the rest of your life. That's what they're saying. And it's really hard to forgive a person who isn't sorry for what they did. So are we off the hook is that the one, one uh, legitimate exception to the idea of forgiveness, that I can forgive as long as the other person is sorry for what they did? No, see, and that's just, that just frosts us, yeah, yeah. 70 times, yeah, it'd be great if it was just seven times seven, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, 49, 49 is my limit. Yeah, that's right. And I might go to 50 because, you know, after all, look at who I am. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're, you were grappling with this a little bit. I, lo- I love the fact that we're really wrestling with this. All right. Number C, <coughs> ask God to help you stay humble. Now, why would humility be something rather important in this whole process? When you are the offended party, when you're the offended party, And it's clear that an offense has occurred, or at least an offense that you hold dear to you. Which could mean that because it holds dear to you, it doesn't hold dear to other people, right? I mean, some things we take offense at that really bother us, but no one else seems to see it. So why is humility uh, an important piece of the puzzle here? Because if you forgive, then all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, you forgive, and then now I've got some pride. I get it. I'm, I'm a good person. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that angle. Look how many times I've forgiven you. But who's counting? Oh, boy, that's a great point. I had, that was an angle I hadn't even thought of. I love that. Yeah. Okay, so humility will kind of keep me reminded of the fact that it all starts with here and went to here and then it goes out from here. See, that's a good point that if I, if I, if I forget this or I fail 
if I fail to acknowledge the fact that the reason why I'm loved, by the way, let's go back to that. Why, am I, why are you loved? Because you're such a lovable person? Because you're so wonderful and, you know, if, if there would be anybody in the world that would be loved, it would be you. Is that why we're loved? <laughs> yes, John? Yeah. But besides that, John, why else? Only because God loves us. Yeah. That, what does the word grace mean? Unconditional. Well, what does unconditional mean? Well, what does unmerited mean? You didn't do diddly, and you couldn't. And God overcame that by loving you. And then in Christ loving you and calling you his beloved in baptism, sealing that in you, and then forgiving you. Oh, because you're such a wonderful, forgivable person? No, because that's what love does. That's what God does. Yeah, uh, Robert. Micah 6.8 Says it all right there. That's what forgiven people do. Say it again. Micah, what was the verse? 6.8 six, eight. Micah 6.8 eight. Six, eight. Six, eight. Okay. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with the Lord. Yep. In other words, you're not all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> Where did that, have you heard that saying before? Where did that come from? Because that's like my wife's favorite thing to say to me. So I was curious where that came from because I didn't grow up with that. Is that regional? Do only people in the North say that? Is that? Kind of from the 90s. It's a 90s thing. Oh, it's a 90s thing. Okay, great. I don't know where it came from, but it came out of, it was with the teens in the 90s. Oh, it was? Okay. Thank you for that information. Yeah, Tom. Oh, the quote, you're not all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> See, no one has ever said that to you, Tom. That's why, <laughs> that's why you don't know that one. It's not committed to memory like it's burned into my memory. Let me tell you. Yeah. You know, if you only do part of Micah 6-8, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. If you get stuck on acting justly yeah. and you forget about mercy, yeah. you could go down the road. Because when we act justly, there is a, there kind of tends to be a focus on what, how to do that, which mainly would be follow the rules, do what's required, do all the things. And that was often, I think, Jesus' complaint with the Pharisees was that it didn't, it wasn't a bad thing for them to be the rule followers religiously. But then that didn't translate into treating people fairly. And certainly the humble part of it as well. All right, so point D. So this assumes that you're not able to overlook it. And maybe you want to work toward forgiving it. Or maybe you have forgiven it already, but you're interested in some form of reconciling with the other person. So it brings to mind the question, what is the difference between forgiving someone in your heart and reconciling with someone. Because we always kind of think they're the same and they're not the same. So there's some talking that's involved in terms of reconciliation. What, how many people have to be involved at the minimum for there to be reconciliation? Two. 
How many people at the minimum have to be involved in order for there to be forgiveness from the heart? One. One. That's the difference. That's the difference. And so because there are some situations in life where it would not be safe or prudent for you to reconcile with someone, you still have to forgive that person. So like, for example, abuse, child abuse, sexual abuse, where that person is not a safe person with whom you would reconcile, you might still have to work harder at forgiving that person in your heart. Okay, does that distinction make sense? Okay. So the idea is, is that you would request one-on-one time with the other person. If it is safe to do so, obviously. If it's not safe, then you're not going to be able to do that one. But again, it kind of goes to this idea that I'm not able to forgive it, or I'm I'm not forgive it, I'm not able to overlook it. But I still want to have some connection with that other person. Maybe I work with that person. Maybe I'm married to that person. Maybe that person is my, in my family. Maybe that person's in my church. You know, do, would it surprise you that offensive things happen in a church? <laughs> would it surprise you that there are people that get offended by stuff in the church? It does surprise a lot of people. There's a lot of people that are very young in the faith and maybe just a little naïve who think that we all leave our sinfulness in the parking lot. Which, by the way, it does show up there, too. <laughs> right? But our sinful nature comes with us into the narthex and into the, into the pews, all those kinds of things. Of course it does. And so, so I think sometimes people that are young in the faith or people that are hypersensitive to the possibility of hypocrisy, which we hear a lot about that today as well, I think in some sense that there's an oversensitivity to that possibility. Okay, point E. So you request one on t- one time with that person, that would be a good thing. And then you state your concern calmly and you ask for the other side of the story. Now, why might that be challenging? Oh, like maybe I did something wrong too? Yeah. That would be a bummer if that happened. (laughs) But there's that possibility. What would be the value in asking for the other side of the story? Yeah, because what you're asking for, see, part of the problem is, we've done this before. I know we've done this little exercise. Okay, everybody put your hand up like this. Like the big C. Okay. So what the big C represents is what you know. So what is it that you know with respect to this situation with that other person? You know what happened, right? You know what happened. You know how it affected you. You know, you know what you thought about it. You know all these things. What don't you know? Everything else. Yeah, you don't know why. Now, you think you do. And you might have made up something that actually fit what you think it is. <laughs> and don't we often do that? We assign motives to other people. We just make stuff up. Well, I know why you did that. Oh, I know why you said that. And maybe you have a history with that person that would suggest to you this is part of the pattern, right? Have you ever heard that before? Sometimes that happens when people are talking about stuff that bothers them. 
They'll say, um, well, yes, and let me remind you of the six other times when you did exactly the same thing, and, and I knew why you did it then. Surely that's why you did it now. But do you really know that? You can put your hands down now. What do you really know? This. So when you invite a person to tell you the other side of the story, they're going to fill in the blank for you. And then that kind of sometimes, I think, gives a little bit of perspective now, it might still be that you have to forgive that person, right? Might still be that, well, okay, take that in consideration. I might still have to work a little harder to reconcile with that person or trust that person, right? Okay, that's part of it. But at what you're also doing is showing great respect. And you're honoring that person as also a child of God. And you're treating that person as the child of God that you are right? You're extending that same courtesy in some sense, that same grace to somebody else. Tracking? Yeah. I've had this question I've been thinking about these points. And my question is, is forgiveness a two-way street? Is it just a nicety or a necessity? You, you, you forgive someone, but you want it to be accepted. So is forgiveness a two-way street or no? It do, you hear, <clears throat> do you hear what he's asking? He's asking if forgiveness is a two-way street. I'm not sure that I fully get what you're asking. Okay, so you're trying to reconcile with this person. Yeah. So it's, I'm bringing it down maybe on a more human level, okay. not a spiritual level, of yeah. course, that horizontal part of the Sure, cross. okay, that's good. Um, so you go up and you say, I forgive you, and, or I would like your forgiveness and like to talk this out, but what if that person is saying, you know, it's, it's kind of a hard thing to, there's some trepidation on my part anyway, mm -hmm. of saying, I want to forgive this person, but I don't know if they're going to accept it. Yeah. And that's kind of where that reconciliation difference comes in. Yeah. I, I would acknowledge that there probably are some things that take longer to forgive than others. And so uh, whenever someone says to me, I just can't bring myself to forgive that person kind of what is always my prayer in that moment and maybe my encouragement is that would that person be willing to work toward it? And I don't really actually know actually where the line is between I'm willing to work toward forgiving as opposed to I will never in a million years forgive. Because I know that depending on the nature and severity of the offense and maybe the trust that the person has that it would not continue in some way or you would not be exposed to it. And maybe it needs to be a multi-step process, just a first step. Yeah, yeah. And the reality is, is that just because you say the words, I forgive you, does not mean that your feelings, your hurt feelings magically disappear. Have you noticed that? You can still have hurt feelings over what occurred. But there is something that saying the words, genuinely saying the words, I forgive you, sets in motion a kind of a healing something or another that sort of moves me in that direction. Okay? So this is not an easy thing. And I, and I know when we do fill in the blank like this, it makes it sound like, okay, just do this and this and this, and then you know, everything will be okay. Um, that's not the idea here. Number F, put the best construction on the situation seek a compromise, or ask for the help of a trained, godly third party. See, what, hap <clears throat> what happens if you sit down with that other person and 
It just goes nowhere. And in fact, maybe it's worse. Does that ever happen? Yeah, and that's kind of part of sometimes I think the fear that we have in doing this because, oh my gosh, that would even make it worse. Well, if that's the case, the Bible does provide a, a step for that. In Matthew 18, it talks about that. Yeah, take two or three others along that the whole thing can be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So the idea is that, that by having somebody who would be a godly person who's got some training, who can facilitate that, right, and remain objective in doing it. And that's the hard part. It's really hard in church setting, by the way. A lot of times uh, uh, the board of elders, sometimes I'm asked to do this to uh, facilitate a conflict between a church member and another church member or a church member and a staff person or staff person and a staff person, that sort of thing. It's really hard to do that and remain objective because maybe you really like the person and maybe you're close to that person and maybe you go bowling together and fishing from time to time, that sort of stuff, play bridge together. It's really hard to do that. And so that's where having people sort of trained to do that and designated to do that, I think is a better, is a better option. Okay, let me check our time here. Okay, so let's, uh, let's look at what Jesus says to Simon in response to his annoyance over the fact that this lady came and is, uh, is, is uh, uh, ministering to Jesus. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. This is verse 41 of Luke 7. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Well, Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil but she has anointed my feet with anointment. So a couple of little details in the story, the parable. It would have been unheard of that a money lender would have, bought, would have lent to somebody 500 denarii. A denarii was a day's wage. So almost two years of that lending, okay? That's, that would have been unheard of. But again, Jesus often did this in his parables is that he overstated the contrast. So the contrast is one guy owed 50, the other guy owed 500. That was a huge amount of money. And, and even more outrageous is that the money lender canceled the debt of both. That would, would have been absurd and very poor business practices, by the way. So the question, he says, is of the two that had their debt canceled, who's going to love the money lender more? And so then Simon says, well, that's easy. It would be the guy who had owed the most. So a couple points here. If you think that you are not a sinner, then you will have little need in your own mind for forgiveness. So the question is, how does God remind us that we are sinners? See, because... He wants to give you the gift of forgiveness, but if you say, I don't need it, then you're keeping yourself in a spiritual state that is disconnected from him. And so God's idea would be, I, that's terrible for you to be in that situation. I want to help you 
and show you how much I love you by forgiving you and you keep turning it away because you think you don't need it. John, did you have your hand up? Yeah. Well, personally, it's because when I see something in somebody else, I say, look at that idiot, how he's driving. And then my wife goes, (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) oh, yeah. So it's the oh, yeah moments, right? That's how God does it. He uses other people right, as a way to do it. He also uses his word. Yeah, all you have to do is look at, oh, pick any of the commandments. If we're honest with ourselves, and and granted, sometimes we're not honest with ourselves, but the word has a way of convicting us, and then it gets reinforced, John, by the people in our lives in most amazing ways. So gratitude is an attitude that flows out of the humility of knowing that you don't deserve anything. And that's the beauty of God's grace. We don't deserve anything. But boy, isn't that the hardest battle there is when you think you do? When you say to yourself, you know what, I deserve better. I don't deserve to be treated this way. Look at all I've done, and because of what I've done, I deserve to be, and then fill in the blank. That's a tough one to overcome. So Jesus says, therefore I tell you, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. So very quickly, let me take you through the principles of forgiveness. And I'll have to rip through this because because one of the things that happens in the late service is that if I'm not there on time, Pastor Coleman will be walking down the aisle by himself, and then I will have to exit in and enter in and I just don't think I for, could forgive myself for that, right? <laughs> and then I would near, never hear the end of it uh, for another week. Okay, so principles of forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting what the other person did. Does not mean that. Forgive and forget is impossible. Now, God can do it, but humans have a real hard time with that. It does mean that you routinely remind yourself, and I forgave him or her. Okay, there's a little bit of programming here. You program yourself, you remind yourself what is true, and what is true is once you say, I forgave you, then you say to, the, to yourself, and I forgave him, and I forgave her, okay? It does not mean that you're obligated to trust the other person. That's because trust is not based on love. Trust is based on trustworthy behavior. It does, not mean, it does mean that you make an effort to trust, to rebuild trust over time, one baby step at a time. So you got to work at it, okay? You make an effort. It does not mean that you minimize what the other person did or make excuses for him or her. It does mean that you admit the hurt they caused and then work to no longer hold it against them. So you can kind of see a little process here. It's not like, oh, one day I forgave and then everything's better. It's really more that I'm working at it. And then refusing to forgive hurts you more than them. Because it it not only affects you in terms of like your blood pressure, but it also affects you in terms of your relationship with God, as Bob pointed out. God said for us to do this, but he did it knowing that it is the best life we could have. And when I don't do the stuff that is my best life, then I'm putting myself in jeopardy, okay? 
Let's close our prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of forgiveness. We probably do take it for granted. We probably do not even think about it nearly as much as probably we ought to. We do think about it, Lord, when somebody else offends us and, or when we offend them and we want to be forgiven. Well, that's when we think about it. But on a daily basis, Lord, help us and challenge us to uh, think about the wonderful gift of forgiveness that you give to us and then think about ways that we can extend that to each other. That way we're operating out of the fact that we're loved by you and that in that love, that love manifests itself in many ways, forgiveness being the one we're thinking about today. So watch over us, dear Lord. Bless us in our red letter challenge as we uh, work on those things this week. And we look forward to meeting again next week and uh, kind of thinking through the next part of this. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement is sharing his light. That means sharing the light that is Jesus Christ and telling others about his gospel. If you want to join us in that mission, please share this podcast with someone that may want to come and better know the light of Jesus. Use one of our past episodes as a starting point to start a discussion with someone, or use a past series as a personal Bible study or devotional for your family or small group. If we've given any value to you at all, consider leaving this podcast a rating and review on iTunes. That will help us climb the iTunes rankings so we may better spread the reassuring good news of Jesus Christ and continue to share his light with anyone willing to listen. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.